We're talking about convicted killers Mark Smitch and Della Millard, once again back in the news. And we're starting to get, you know, an inside look on why both of these guys feel they have grounds to appeal. Mark Smitch uh, wrote in what really, I guess, will sum up like childlike writing, simply wrote, My trial was unfair. The trial judge made errors in his charge to the jury and other things. That's it. So two little lines from Mark Smitch uh, asking for a new trial. His co-accused, Millard, much more detailed, which of course does not shock me one bit. You know, Millard had all those letters he wrote, all those dozens and dozens of letters he wrote to Christina Nugda while he was in jail. And of course, during the trial, he sat in would doodle and write constantly. I would love to know what he was writing. Um, so we do know he likes to write, but he he unveiled like a 13-point appendix laying out very, very specific details. And some of the, uh, you know, things he writes is, you know, he says the judge erred in not allowing a venue change. So at one point, the Millard team had asked that this trial be in Oshawa. Mm-hmm, Oshawa. Um, I've been to the Oshawa court many, many times. It's about the size of a thimble. So... Uh, it did not happen. It just would not have been appropriate to have this trial in Oshawa. The judge, of course, uh, did not allow for that. But he also said the judge made uh, a mistake by allowing texts in on the purchase of the murder weapon, the uh, Walther PVK. But interestingly, it's his, his comments about the crown in uh, its closing where Tony Leach said, don't forget Tim. The judge, of course, told the jury to forget this, but that was during the charge. And Millard felt it should have been addressed sooner. Let's bring in Joseph Newberger, who is a criminal lawyer, to kind of break down where we're at. Good to have you with us. Hello. There you are, Joseph. Hello, you there? Hi, Hi. I'm here. I'm here. All right. All ready to roll. All ready to roll. So let's just talk about this process. So we've now got finally some grounds to which both of these accused uh, feel that they should get uh, either a new trial or have this whole thing quashed, which I don't think is going to happen. But let, let's talk about those comments that I just said. It was during the closing uh, that Tony Leach did. And it was a really moving moment where at the very, very end, he he had said to the jury, don't forget Tim. And, and at the time, the judge, you know, they, they moved the jury and, the, and they had a discussion about it. And the ju- judge felt it was best to, to leave that for the charge, not bring it up again, but that he would explain to them, which he did. Uh, that that was an inappropriate comment. So is that like is that like a red flag to you? Not necessarily, but it is very important. I, I mean, we're very lucky in Canada because we try and run trials, and Crown attorneys and defense lawyers do a very good job of it to try and really stay within the bounds of what is lawful. And one can completely understand why there was an emotional comments or an emotional appeal by the Crown in this case, because it's so horrific. However, we need to stay away from those types of comments, because emotive comments don't help, and they can actually detract from the jury's assessment. So it's troublesome. I think the way the judge wanted to deal with it through the charge makes perfect sense, because judges give very lengthy charges to a jury, and they explain the law and what they should be paying attention to. And juries do a very good job of listening to judges. So I think overall, whether the judge would have said it right after the Crown closed his arguments or said it during the course of the charge, I don't think it has really a significant impact which method the judge wanted to uh, to go about addressing this issue. 
Yeah, I mean, look, it was the very, very end of of, of the case. And for yeah. me, you know, to bring that back up and argue about it and bring the jury back in to make a big to-do would have been more damaging. Would that be, I mean, you're the criminal lawyer. Would you be more uh, leaning towards leave it to the charge because you don't want to bring attention to it again? I, I would leave it alone, and I'd ask the judge to make a very strong comment in his charge to the jury that they have to disregard this, that they are not to be swayed by emotion, sympathy, or prejudice, that it's very important to assess the facts and uh, make those factual findings and then apply the, la- the laws the judge instructs. So I would have asked the judge to give a very strong direction on that to the jury, which I'm sure a judge would have done in any event, and I'm not um, privy to exactly what the judge said in this case, but that would be the approach I'd be content with, but I understand why uh, that's an that is a factor which is being outlined as a reason for appeal. Yeah, it's interesting because uh, charges which can be very long and monotonous, as as you know, and very technical. It was one of the first things the judge, Justice Goodman, in this case, had actually brought up, where he said right out, "Look, shouldn't have said it. Not important. Not part of this case. In fact, Tim Bosma, you know, the suggestions, and, and this is not about." Tim Bosma, this is not, uh, you know, about the feelings that you have for the family. So put that aside. Uh, so he was very quick kind of to point that out. But yep. interestingly, uh, uh, Millard also, you know, these are some of the claims he's made that his rights were violated by improper searches at both his home uh, and his uh, the removal of the eliminator from his property. And he thought that the police overstepped his boundaries. Um, you know, the, the eliminator is something that in pretrial, I guess they had tried to keep that eliminator out of this this trial as evidence. He didn't want them to know, the jury, obviously, that, that Mr. Bosma was incinerated. But the, the judge erred, you know, he says the judge erred in letting it in. But there's lots of things that didn't go into this trial, uh, Joseph, that I thought should have. I thought the judge, in fact, was too cautious with some of the stuff. But obviously, Justice Goodman would have had the appeal process in mind, correct? Absolutely. This is exactly the right way to run a trial. You want to run it as clean as possible. You want to be as fair as possible on rulings to ensure you're not letting in prejudicial evidence that is not, as we say in the business, probative. Uh, So if it's not relevant and not really advancing the Crown's case based upon something realistic... You don't want anything to jeopardize the fairness of the trial because you want a conviction. If a conviction is obtained properly, you want it to be a clean conviction. So Justice Goodman erred uh, on the side of caution to exclude certain evidence, which made perfect sense. The application by the defense to try and exclude the incinerator um, is understandable. I mean, it's a piece of horrific evidence to have before the jury. Um, And, of course, that would be a very uphill battle by the the defense to try and exclude such evidence. You know, as I mentioned, there was several pieces of evidence that did not go into this trial, and I suspect, well, I know that when the other trials go ahead um, with Laura Babcock and certainly Wayne Millard, the whole picture will really kind of be told in this case, and I think a lot of people will say, huh, how come we didn't know about that? But that story is, of course, for another day. Uh, But to me, it just shows the caution that this judge took uh, with this case. Does the high-profile nature of a case like this, um, does that, that bear upon a judge when they, when they kind of make their decisions, that they know no, that? No, no, no. In, in all sorts of cases across Ontario, and I suspect across Canada, whether it's a murder charge or something less serious of nature, judges uh, generally do a very good job of being very cautious about what evidence is admissible and not admissible, because they adhere to the charter and, and rights of... Uh, the accused in order to ensure that trials are fair. 
And as much as that may seem difficult for the listeners to sort of swallow, because, you know, we look at the results and try and figure out, you know, how it was the case fair really to the victim and the family. It is. It, it is very important to adhere to these fairness principles because when there is such a, something so horrific as this, you want the conviction to be clean. You want a fair trial so the family doesn't have to go through a retrial unless it's absolutely necessary. And judges do this really across the board, whether it's an assault trial, a sexual assault trial, or a murder case that may not have gotten the same publicity. We are truly very fortunate. We have a very good criminal justice system here in Canada. Yeah. I I mean, look, I I wouldn't want any other system uh, in place. I tend to agree with you on that. But the bottom line is, as you say, you know, an appeal is based on error of a law during the the process, during the trial process. Right. You know, in one of the claims, Millard believed that Smitch's lawyer's closing was inflammatory and that that should have been corrected by the judge. But in in my memory, which now seems like it was 100 years ago, um, (laughs) you know, we don't correct closings. So the judge could not have jumped in on a closing. That would that would be very inappropriate. Well, uh, actually, judges do interrupt closings, especially if they are offside. Now, Mr. Dungy is a very seasoned, experienced criminal defense lawyer. He, He knows what he's doing. Sure. And to a certain extent, the defense lawyer has more leeway than a prosecutor does in their closing argument. Mm-hmm. His, his closing was also very emotional, uh, very pointed, and uh, certainly took direct target at Mr. Millard. And, you know, I understand why Mr. Millard may argue to say certain aspects of that closing argument was highly prejudicial to me, got the jury all inflamed against me, and, didn't, and it really harmed the ability of the jury to assess the facts. That's a viable argument. I don't think it'll go very far. But it is a viable argument. I mean, the fact that that Millard didn't testify, which I think really kind of sits in his craw, um, you know, so his lawyers essentially spoke for him. But he he seems to think that the judge was wrong um, by telling the jury that the lawyers who did the closing had no foundation and that the evidence was improper, that that was wrong. Is that just Millard being sour grapes because he didn't testify? So he feels like, you know, I didn't get my chance. No, it's a combination of factors. One, if there is certain evidentiary assertions, I don't mean to sound too much like a lawyer, but if a defense lawyer is saying to a jury, X, Y, and Z are facts, you need a foundation for that. And uh, it needs to arise somewhere from the evidence. It doesn't have to be from the accused testifying themselves. It can come out from evidence of any witness through examination or cross-examination or even through an exhibit. But in order to make those submissions to a jury or to a judge on closing, you have to have some foundation in the evidence that has been made admissible in court. So if they are trying to put forward a theory that it was Smitch who did the shooting, it's hard to do that without the accused testifying. And on appeal, I can tell you, the Court of Appeal can take a look at the fact that Mr. Millard did not testify in his own defense. When a case goes before a jury, the jury can't make a negative finding against an accused because they don't testify. Mm-hmm. Everybody has the right to remain silent, and they're not proven guilty until the end of the trial if the jury finds it so. so but on appeal, when this type of legal issue is being argued, a court of appeal can look and say, look, Mr. Appeal Lawyer, uh, the client didn't testify, so there is no foundation for this evidence. So what merit are we supposed to put in this argument? So that, that, that will be the uphill battle that he's going to face on appeal.
Right, but again, it was his choice. I mean, he had more yeah. than uh, more than fair opportunity to to weigh. Uh, you know, he had a few months and a couple of years to decide whether he was going to get on the stand, and he chose not to. And and I think was out, you know, outplayed a little bit by Smitch, even though the result uh, was the same for both of them. But again, I think that speaks to just you know his behavior. Um, you know that he got kind of outdone by by his his you know partner in crime. In, yeah. in your go ahead. Well, I just wanted to say, I mean, you know, had he testified, there would be a lot of questions on cross-examination that sure. Smith did not have to face, right? You just you just take a picture of that incinerator if I was a prosecutor, you know, and I would put the picture to him and go, hmm, tell me about this. You know, I mean, there's so much that Millard would have had to face in cross-examination that might have been just absolutely insurmountable for him. So uh, it's in, in, in this case, Smith had a freer play to testify than Millard did. But again, that speaks to when we take a step back, you know, how overwhelming a lot of the evidence was against Mr. Millard. Yeah, it's fascinating. I mean, look, we all thought he was going to testify. And it took, I mean, several of us kind of off guard saying, oh, gee, we thought he would testify, forcing Smitch to then testify. But in the end, you know, I, I would hazard to say if Millard uh, did testify, we'd probably still be covering this trial to this day. <laughs> yeah, um, it could very well be. You know, it's interesting to see this. So in your experience when it comes to appeals, um, you know, obviously... We're not talking a couple of days. This is going to be a while. We're, we're talking a while before this actually gets played through, correct? Absolutely. So uh, both, uh, I assume, Smitch is on legal aid. The other one may be as well. So that has to go through the legal aid process to authorize lawyers. Once that's done, then the lawyers may file their own notice of appeal and set out their grounds. And then it takes time because you have to get the transcripts and the lawyers have to write factums and you have to set a date for a hearing. So we're probably looking at about a year to a year and a half before there's going to be a hearing before the Court of Appeal. Right. So essentially, these two have, uh, you know, three trials. I mean, if you include the Christina Nugda, which it's not known whether either or will testify um, or be a part of. But certainly their legal issues with the other two trials, be the Laura Babcock and Wayne Millard issue, those could very well go before the courts uh, before this even, you know, is another headline. Yep, they may very well go proceed uh, prior to there's an there's an appeal for these two gentlemen. That's true. And, and essentially, once we get through those, I guess then we could be looking at another a situation. But this is the reality when you get a high profile case like this. Not not just a high profile, but look, it's first degree murder. It's very rare when someone actually uh, doesn't appeal it. It, yeah, it's, it's generally impossible. I mean, it's a first-degree murder, 25 years to life, so they're always going to appeal, and they have a right of appeal, so you would expect them to advance those rights. But when the appeal is heard in this case, regardless of those other trials, the evidence in those other trials really uh, cannot bear upon the fairness. Mm-hmm. Hello? Oops, I think we lost the lawyer. We were, of course, talking to uh, Joseph Newberger, who is a criminal lawyer in Toronto, and I think technology beat us to uh, the punch. But what he, what he was saying essentially is that uh, those two other legal issues that are facing both Mr. Millard and Mr. Smith will have absolutely no bearing on what is heard in the appeal court. But it, it's fascinating to see. And certainly, like, what else do these guys have to do? I mean, they're sitting in jail. So what do they care that they are making uh, Mr., you know, the Bosma family's life difficult once again? I think we've got you back, Joe. Love this technology. Don't you love it? Hey, it's okay. It keeps me on my toes. It means that I have to listen. And I was. (laughs) But I wanted to, uh, you know, and I now I forget my question completely to you. Uh, Let me just let me just ask you this. Was there something in this trial from afar? Because obviously you don't know all the evidence of the case. But was there something that stuck out to you as a criminal lawyer that you thought, hmm, that may get an appeal. 
or at least not, the process? Not, not necessarily. I mean, I, I thought it was very methodically laid out, and I thought the trial, from my point of view, was rather fair. You know, I, I'm, I'm a little bit more um, open-minded about change of venue applications than I think our court system is. Um, when you have something which is fairly notorious in a particular area, I, I don't think it's something that uh, should be easily dismissed. A change of venue doesn't mean very much other than just going to another courthouse. And the reality with the way social media is now and the immediacy of information, it's pretty hard to find a jury pool that wouldn't know something about the case. But, you know, transferring it from uh, from Hamilton to Oshawa might not have been a bad idea, given the incredible notorious nature of this case. Mm-hmm. That's one thing, you know, and, um, and they could accommodate it in, in Oshawa. So, you know, that's one thing. But I, I think the judge did a very good job in, in assessing the evidence and making various rulings. Um, and Mr. Smith, you know, he had a fair shot at, uh, at his case, and he did testify. So with Mr. Millard, it's, uh, as I said, I just think based upon an objective review of the evidence, I just think it's a very uphill battle for him. Yeah, well, I'm certainly uh, interested in finding out what happens. But I thank you so much for your insight into this. My, my pleasure. Anytime.